Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. How should Christians relate to the government? In this sermon, Vince Finnegan works through Romans 13 to show how we should relate to the powers that be. Ultimately, God is in charge of raising up and tearing down regimes and nations over the course of human history. Our goal is to love one another as examples of genuine faith, rather than get overwhelmed with political concerns. Here now is Podcast 73, Relating to the Government. In our study of the book of Romans, we've come to the 13th chapter. And I will tell you up front, it was a, a, a chapter, at least the beginning verses here, was, ex, was a little bit difficult for me to embrace for a long time. Um, but the Word of God is the will of God. It means what it says. So I, I uh, had to change the way I thought. I'm going to read through these first four, four verses or so, and then uh, we'll go back and look at it. Every person is to be in subjection to government authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. For the rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience sake. And you can see from, from these verses that this is a, a little bit different way of uh, thinking, perhaps, than you have been accustomed to. Some people interpret these verses as talking about uh, the church and the church leadership. And then some people interpret this as talking about the government, which it seems to me to be the case. And that is how I understand it, where how, how we're to deal in relationship to the governments in which we live. In order to stay constantly living for him, which was the subject matter last week, we must have the right mindset and proper behavior in relationship to the kingdoms of this world. And, and as we're going through this, I, and, and you know, we're, we're American citizens, that, those of us that are sitting here this morning, and um, you, it's taken to mind that this was written to the church at Rome by the Apostle Paul during the first century church. It could very well be that Nero is the emperor in charge, and Nero did not have a sound mind. Nero is the one that was responsible for the burning of the city of Rome and for the persecution of many Christians in a very horrific type of way. And yet this was sent to the Romans. 
So um, it really is a, a challenge to understand this section of Scripture. Now, in order to do that, maybe you keep your marker here, and we're going to go to Philippians. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. There's some, in order to understand any aspect of the Scripture, you have to understand the whole context of the Scripture, the whole Bible. You know, you don't want to take one section out of all of the Bible. So we're going to look at a few other sections that kind of address similar topic matter. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, that I may know Him, talking about Jesus, Paul saying, that I might know Jesus and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to Jesus' death, in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. The, the immediate context that we're looking at here in Philippians is talking about the resurrection of the dead. And for us, that, that resurrection is the beginning of the kingdom of God that is coming in the future. And then in verse 20 it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. This Philippians verse says that our citizenship is in the heaven with God. And that we, as believers in Christ, and those that have faith in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that our citizenship, our kingdom, is being held with God in, with God in heaven. Or a lot of times when it says in heaven, it's talking about basically being with God. The kingdom is not yet come. God's kingdom is not yet come. You know, the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not the time of his kingdom. And we are citizens of that kingdom. That's our true citizenship. And, you know, we want to embrace that one above all others. Now look at Peter. First Peter. Keep on going towards the back of your Bible. First Peter. After Hebrews, chapter 2. As citizens of the heavens, this uh, information here in Peter makes a lot of sense. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but, but you are a chosen race. In the context of who the you is, it's talking about the believers who are a part of the body of Christ, made up of both Jews and Gentiles, those who have faith, again, in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race. The people of God are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. What a wonderful statement that is, a phrase. We are God's possession. We are God's people. We belong to God. God is our Father. So that you may proclaim the excellence of Him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had, been, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, we looked at those verses in Romans earlier. That's from a quotation from Hosea. In verse 11, Behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. 
Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So, again, we are told very similar, this instruction that we're reading here in Romans, we're to honor the king. It doesn't say honor the king if the king does what you think he should be doing. And the king at their time, again, is probably someone like Nero or comparable to him. You, you read about the Roman Empire and the emperors that were in charge. These were not good people. These were not holy, godly people. These were people that were quite contrary. And yet he said, honor the king and to be in subjection. I think it's important to, to again, go back to verse 11. Behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers... We are to think of ourselves as aliens in the world in which we live, the kingdoms in which we live today, the countries in which we live, and to think of ourselves as strangers. So some of us have no problem thinking of ourselves as being strange, but, but you know, uh, we're, we're aliens. When, you know, I, I, as I had said before, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, when I came back from the Congo, uh, from uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, I had some things that happened to me, and Tom was, Tom was with me. We had some very unjust dealings there with the government, where they extorted money from us in a really ungodly way. And they kind of abused us and pushed us around a little bit. I had no rights there. I'm not a, a Congolese citizen. I'm a citizen of the United States. So I, I, didn't, I didn't like it at all. It was very offensive to me. It was, it was abrasive to my mind. But I wasn't there to conform the Congolese government. I was not there to straighten out immigration. I was there to hold forth the gospel of Christ. I was indeed an alien and a stranger there. But I don't, I'm not in the Congo now. I'm here in the United States. And I'm still an alien and a stranger. My citizenship is in the heavens. I don't fit into this world. I don't, I feel like an alien many times. The things that people think are funny and the things that people entertain themselves with on TV, with murder and lust and sex, and I don't, it doesn't fit well in my head. And the way that people deal in the, I'm an alien to this. I'm a stranger to this because my citizenship is in heavenly. I'm a, you know, and, and we are a holy nation. We are, you know, a, a royal people. Now go back to Romans. This is a little bit of the perspective that we have. Now we come back here to Romans 13. And I, I, have, to, I have to say that in, in my understanding of, of this, this part of the, of the Bible, 
that there, there tends to be, well, actually it's true of every part of the Bible, there tends to be extreme interpretations. People don't kind of balance things out and they go one side or the other. And that's never the right way to be. You really want God's help working with us to rightly understand the concepts of truth that he's trying to get across to us. And, uh, and I pray that that happens this morning. Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. Wow, that's a thought. I've got to be in subjection to the governing authorities. But as I have in your notes, subjection is not very uncommon in the Scripture. It's something that's talked about a lot. Wives are told to be in subjection to their husbands in Ephesians chapter 5. Children are told to be in subjection to their parents in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, slaves are told to be in subjection to their masters or employees to their employers in Ephesians chapter 6. So subjection is not something that's odd. We see in Peter that the younger people are supposed to be in subjection to the elder people. And then we also see in the book of Hebrews that those that the believers are supposed to be in subjection to the, to the, um, the, the leaders in the church. You know, that, that subjection is not an odd thing. And then I thought about it after I wrote this. You know, you, you learn this in the military. You learn this in school. You're supposed to be in subjection to your teachers and so on. Subjection is not an odd concept at all. Actually, all of us are in subjection to somebody, some, at many people at different times in our life. So for us to be told to be in subjection to our government is not asking us to drink cyanide. This is not a... A weird thing. However, there is exceptions to this rule. If a husband tells his wife, I want you to worship Buddha, I don't want you to worship Christ, then she's supposed to say, no, I'm going to worship the true God and I'm going to worship my Savior Jesus. If, if uh, the parents tell their children, look, I want you to steal God expects for those children to say no. They're not going to sin. They're not going to break the laws of God to keep the laws of their parents. Or if, if uh, your job wants you to be uh, sneaky and deceitful and lying and cheating, well, then you need to get a different job. You can't submit to that because it's in contrary to the greater law, the laws of God. And that is our first place of subjection is to Almighty God and the commands that are written within the Scripture. And if my government or my spouse or my or whoever, my employer, or if my church tells me, if, if the minister in the church tells you to teach or to, to do something that is contrary to what God tells you to do, you would be a fool to do such a thing. You're first and foremost to be in subjection to God Almighty and then to our Lord Jesus Christ. Above any other places of subjection. You understand, right? That makes sense. We see this pretty clearly in Daniel. Uh, keep your marker here, wherever you are, and uh, go back to Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel's a great record that shows you the other side of this thing about submission. This is where King Nebuchadnezzar had built a golden image and he wanted everybody in his kingdom to bow down and to worship before the golden image. And when they heard uh, the band that they were all supposed to bow down, well, the people that worshipped Yahweh refused to do so. 
And it says in, in uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and anger, 3.13, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the moment when you hear the sound of the Buckingham singing, that you bow down and worship the image that I have made. No, that's not a fair thing. I take that back. That's not, that's not fair at all. And when you hear this paganistic band play, <laughs> this, uh, when you hear the horn, the flute, the lyre, and so on, that you bow down. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the, fi the furnace of this blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of our hand, O king. But if he does not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was, at that time, the most powerful man on earth. He was, he was the king, and, and this is what he had commanded to do. It was contrary to what God said to do, and they weren't going to do it. And as a result of this, they got thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And, of course, God saved them. In uh, Daniel chapter 6, we also see where they had uh, another, another administration, another king. They had passed the law that you were not supposed to pray to some other god. Well, Daniel didn't obey that law. Three times a day he prayed. He had his window open and he prayed. And as a result of this, you know, they, you know they, they brought him before the king. And again, he said, look, I got to do what God tells me to do. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do that is contrary to him. They threw him in the lion's den. And lions don't like Daniel for food, so they didn't eat him. They ate the guys that schemed that whole plan. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. So this subjection to the authorities of government, the exception to that would be when the laws of the government are saying to you to do things that are contrary to the laws of God. Uh I don't think that we can, well, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And when they had summoned Peter and John and commanded them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it, be, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than God, you be judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They didn't want them to speak in the name of Jesus. The guys that were telling them not to speak in the name of Jesus, they were the religious leaders, and they were also the governmental leaders in that situation in which Peter and John were. We have to obey God rather than man. It says the same thing in Acts chapter 5. It's repeated again. So this, this submission to the authorities, the governmental authorities, 
It doesn't mean that you will have, you will do what they tell you to do that is contrary to the will of God. And as our country is going in the in particular direction that it's going, where they're passing laws that are contrary, people such as myself in positions of responsibility, I, by the government, it's getting closer and closer to this, that I'll be commanded to do things that are contrary to what the Word of God says to do. And then I'll have to decide at that time, and maybe you in your life will have to make that decision, whether you're going to obey God or obey, obey the legal you know, the governments at that time. But for the most part, we are blessed not to have those kinds of choices. We're not being threatened to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Turn back to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. I don't, I don't think, well, I, I do think that we're being told to be, to work in, in, a, in concordance with the government in which we're living under. Save for what I've just given you, this, uh, these exceptions. Romans 13 again. Let me start in verse 1 again. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation unto themselves. If you do not submit to the laws of the government, you're going to be judged by those laws. If you don't submit to them, you're going to be judged by them. By no means is God saying to us that worldly governments are holy or that they reign that their reign is equitable or fair or right. That's not what it's saying here. Governments are a temporary necessity in this present evil age, to maintain a semblance of order until God's perfect kingdom comes. This is the way it is now. And um, stop fighting against it, you know, and just live in accordance with it. I, I, My own personal experience regarding this subject matter, I told you it was difficult for me to come to this place. And because of my personal experience, I was brought up in... The, in, a, in an environment where, um, you know, we didn't live a good life. We did. We were. We we lived a you know a criminal's kind of life. My both of my brothers had been arrested when I was younger. One of my 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 brothers closest to me, John, he was in a reformatory as a result of his crimes. My brother Jim, he spent a lot of time in jail. It's caused a lot of pain and suffering from my mother and our family. A lot of uproar, and I, as a child. As a young, as a young, well, as a child, as a teenager, I concluded that this was the fault of the people that arrested my brothers, that they brought this pain into my family. I blamed the the judge for sentencing. That was just way too hard a sentence to give to them. And I blamed the judge. I blamed the establishment. I blamed the law authorities, and developed an attitude towards anyone you know, like the police department in particular, and for anyone that was in authority in this realm. And I took this into my adult life. And then, of course, when I got in trouble, and, and you know, I was before the judge, and the judge would give me the sentence, I, I, he was always wrong. I mean, I was never wrong. I mean, I never gave consideration to the fact that maybe my brothers were wrong, and maybe what I had done was wrong. The guys that were judging me and giving me the sentencing were wrong. 
And I, the pain that I had in my life was their fault. And therefore, I, I came into Christianity with this kind of a mentality. My first years in, in Christianity, I had lost my license before I got saved. I drove around for years without a license. And, uh, you know, the speed limits were nice for the, you know, the other people, but they were not relevant to me. Uh, my poor, my poor wife. Oh, my, my, uh, we were driving down the New Jersey Turnpike or the, uh, one of those, the, one of those roads in New Jersey and, you know, the cop came up behind me. Instead of slowing down and pulling to the side because of that thing, I sped up. And then there was another cop that joined. And, you know, they, and, and you know, and Mimi's over there, stop it, pull over. I didn't have a license and I didn't have, you know, I had all this other nonsense. And, you know, that's the kind of head that I had. Obviously, as I look at it now, I still was maturing in my Christian growth. I hadn't come to the place of believing all of the word of God yet. If I had read this verses here in Romans, I somehow justified them not being in relationship to me. And then there was the time that I had hired a new secretary who was working out of my house. And, and uh, this was her first day at work. <laughs> the cops came and handcuffed me and took me away. Because <laughs> I didn't pay the tickets and all the rest. And I finally, I finally got to the place of being in subject. I'm ashamed of, I, I laugh about it, but I'm, I'm ashamed of, of where I was. But it takes time to grow and to mature and to change. And I hadn't yet gone to that place. I finally got to that place and, and I stopped kicking against the pricks. I mean, who, what was I accomplishing by this insanity? By being rebellious. I finally came to the place of thinking, gee, maybe, maybe my brothers were wrong. And maybe, maybe I was the one that was at fault here. And perhaps it would be advantageous for me to get a license and to pay my fines and to wear my seatbelt and to stop fighting against it all and just live in accordance and peace. And then I could have my mind on the things that are above where my citizenship really is instead of crying out about my violated rights. How dare they? And, and, and how insane the mind can be, right? Even when I'm the one that was wrong. And, but, you know, even, even when I was right, when we built this wonderful church, you know, and we had, uh, thank God Tom was, and, and, uh, was coordinating the effort because I, I really struggled when they gave us all these ordinances and, and things. I mean, the building is positioned where it is because of the laws of the, of our county here, of Colony. They told us where to put it. It's not where we wanted to put it. We have this wall over here because they told us to put it here. We have a ramp going up there because they told us to put it here. And Vince didn't like any of that. I just shut my mouth and did what I was told. We have a church. And, you know, I don't have to agree with it, but I do have to submit to it, and I don't have to complain about it. And, and it's just the way it is. Either that or all this takes space in your mind. And you've always got an attitude. You're always negative, and you're always complaining, and you're always griping because of injury. Your mind belongs on Almighty God. And on the Lord Jesus Christ and on the kingdom that's coming, we're citizens in the heavenlies. We don't have time to fight the fact, well, oh, I can't believe that now I've got to put these bottles out and, and you know, I've got to separate the garbage. And I've seen people lose their absolute fellowship over this nonsense. Stop it. Who cares? You know, 
Stop fighting against the thing. Just be in subjection. That's what we're talking about here. You get my point? Now, don't please. I don't want other people to know about my criminal past. So don't tell anybody. (laughs) Mum's the word on that. Um, Verse 3. For rulers are not a cause. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. I hadn't thought about that before this. <laughs> Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Now, I, I, I don't speed anymore and I, I don't do all of that nonsense anymore, pretty much, you know. But I, I did, I did, I got pulled over a couple of years ago and I was going fast not intentionally, I was listening to a tape and I wasn't paying attention to my driving. My foot got heavy. The cop pulled me over and he said, do you have any idea how fast you were going? I said, no. And then he told me, I said, oh my, no wonder you pulled me over. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, 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 I wasn't paying attention. He said, wow, nobody ever says that to me. <laughs> right? Remember that? He still gave me a ticket which I deserved. And I paid and I paid the price because I broke the law. That's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be in submission to them unless these laws are telling me. I, I haven't read it in the Bible yet where it says that, you know, obeying the speed limit is contrary to the will of God. <laughs> for rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Just do the right thing. Stop the fight. Your citizenship is in heaven. Do what you want to have no fear of. Do what... You have to do what you want to have no fear of authority. Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God and an avenger of those, avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. And obviously, there's a balance to all of this and this understanding that goes with everything here. It says that they are ministers of God for good. The word minister could have been translated servants, kings, presidents, governors. They're all God's servants, just as Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus was. Nebuchadnezzar, before he had this conversion in his life, was a man that was um, very evil. You know, he was he was he had built this thing and insisted to everybody in his kingdom worship idolatry. But it's very clear also from the scriptures that God had he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to be the king. And he used Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his purposes, as is true of many of the kingdoms that are stated in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, look at this. It was, you, oh, I should have told you to stay in Daniel back there, but let's go back to Daniel for a minute. There's some great insight about how we're supposed to view these things. You know, if, if I was God, and we can all thank God for that, I'm not, but uh, if I were God, I would do it entirely different. You know, I, I it doesn't, but you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I have to ask Mimi to pick out the tie that I wear every Sunday because I don't have that much 
ability in my life to think I know who should be in charge of this country and that country and who, what government is wrong and what government is right is absurd. It's really ridiculous. Is it the way I, it doesn't, I don't understand it, but there's a lot that I don't understand. I don't understand many of the laws of physics. I don't understand how a star stays up in the sky. I don't understand how we can breathe. How come the earth stays afloat? I, there's a lot that I don't understand. Far more than I do. This much I understand. Almighty God's in charge. I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. I'm very good with that. And Daniel... Now, I know that Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in charge. But he really wasn't. In uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 13... Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage, I already read that, not that, uh, chapter 2, 221. For it is he, God, who changes the times and the ages. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. He removes kings and he establishes kings. Chapter 4. Verse 17, and I don't think he's asked our opinion. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. This sentence is my decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. And bestows it upon whom he wishes, and sets over it the lowest of men. He does what he wants to do. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar's talking, by the way. This is after he had a time of enlightenment, a seven-year period of time when he became very wise afterwards. Verse 26. In that it was commanded to leave the stump from the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you. And... After you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, my advice and so on. That's verse 34. At the end of the seven-year period of time, Nebuchadnezzar raised, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures for generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are as counted as nothing. Mind you, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking. But he who does according to his will in the heaven of the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Not a good thing to say to him. At that time, my reason returned to me. And my majesty and my splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles, nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and all his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Isn't that great? Back to Romans 13. 
There are many, it seems, that forget that their citizenship is in the heavens, and they get themselves all entangled with the concerns of this world. There are some that get politically entwined to the degree of not keeping Christ at the center of their minds. I'm not saying that, I, I am not saying, I, I'm not God and I don't judge what men and women do. I'm not saying some men shouldn't be running for government or shouldn't be pursuing things. I, I just know what Vince is supposed to do in light of what I'm reading. It's not my position to judge what other people do. But I certainly have ministered with enough people to see that many people get themselves headlong into this and then that's all they talk about, that's all they think about. And that's the, that's the wrong extreme. When, when our kids were in grammar school, we were asked by the principal of the school to be on the parents' advisory board. And we selected to do that because we wanted to have a Christian influence in this in our school, you know, there was certainly a negative influence. And, I, you know, I, so there is a balance to it where you can get involved and it not occupy your mind and have an influence on the governing authorities that are going on. I guess each of us has to determine where we stand on this. But we get the general principle of truth here. Our citizenship is in the heavens. We're strangers and aliens and we don't want to get overly involved in this world that is basically going to come to a halt very soon hopefully now verse 6 says in Roman Romans 13 because of this you are to pay you are also to pay taxes for rulers are servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing of course Jesus gives us a great example of this in Mark chapter 12 when they came to him tempting him and saying to him you know, they, they say, well, should we pay taxes, the poll taxes to Caesar? And he said, well, let me see the coin. Whose face is on that coin? And they said, Caesar's. Then give unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's. Give unto God that which is God. Or the time that Peter came to him in Matthew and said to him, you know, they, they want us to pay taxes. What should we do? He said, well, the essence of what he said, we'll pay it. He's, and he said, go to the so-and-so location, throw the hook in the water, you'll pull a fish out, and the money will be there for you to pay the taxes, which is a great point. If you just do it, pay the taxes, God will make provision for it. Stop playing games. Stop fighting against what is right thing to do. Is it unjust to have taxes so high and so on and blah, blah, blah? Yes, 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 we can moan all we want, but just do what you're supposed to do and move on. God will make the provision for you to do what is right in the world in which you live. Stop all the negative complaining and all the rest. And for goodness sake, stop sending me emails that degrade the President of the United States or the people that are running for President. I don't care about it. I don't want to read negative things about people that are in authority. I have an opinion. You have an opinion. I can express my opinion without sinning. And without, because it says, the next thing it says is, honor the king. You're not honoring the king when you're sending out negative messages about the king. And, you know, degrading him and all the rest. If you don't agree with his policies, so be it. We live in a free country. You're allowed to do that. And you can vote. And you should vote. I guess, right? I guess you can decide that. <laughs> I think I, I should. That's the next verse, right? Oh, uh, verse 7, render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. 
Custom to who custom is due. Fear to who fear is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Look at the way that the men spoke to the people in authority in the scripture. They didn't speak degrading and they didn't, oh, that Nero, he's a palm. They didn't do all that nonsense. Did they agree with Nero? I doubt they did. You never hear Jesus talking like that or Paul talking like that. Actually, Paul it was the one that was inspired to write what we just read. And Peter was inspired to write what we read earlier. Honor the king. Now, I don't, obviously, I don't agree with a lot of the things, but all right. All right. Oh, no, man, anything except, verse 8, to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. That's what we want to be busy doing. Love. Oh, no, man, anything. I, I love this. You could go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, and you'll see there that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that uh, if, if he did this for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. If he laid down our lives for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. It's the exact word that's used here. Oh, no, man, anything. We owe love. That's the only thing we're supposed to owe. You don't get yourself all indebted to the world and to the people of the world. Pay what you're supposed to pay. Do what you're supposed to do. Stay free from entanglement and just get busy doing the thing that you owe God, which is to love, to love him and to love others. That's what basically what God says from us, you know, love in the Old Testament. They didn't have the spirit in the Old Testament. They didn't. It was pre-Christ. We're post-Christ. Christ has ascended. Goodness gracious. Christ lives in us. Right. We have an enablement to love like he loved. So now the great commandment is simplified. We don't need a whole long listing of it. Here's the commandment. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, it says in the next verse, you'll be fulfilling all the rest. Verse nine, you shall not commit adultery. Man, if you love if you love your spouse, you're not going to commit adultery. If you love the person that, you know, the other person, you're not going to commit adultery. If, you know, if you love somebody, you don't murder them, right? That's not hard to figure out. Oh, man, I really loved you. I love you, man. I'm just sorry. I didn't mean it. I love you. No, 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 no. You don't murder people you love. Gee, come on. You shall not steal. Well, I know I stole from you, but I don't want you to take this as an indication that I don't love you. I do love you. I mean, you're the most important person in my life. I just needed some money right now. No. If you love, you don't steal. And so on. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up saying, in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. That makes sense, right? Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for, for you to wake up from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Wake up! Now's the time to live for God. Wake up! Right now, right now. You only got this moment of your life to live for God. The day of salvation is nearer than when we believed. We were saved when we accepted Christ as our Lord. We are being saved because Jesus is our Lord. But the day of salvation is yet to come. And I'll tell you what, when I woke up this morning, I was one day closer to the day of salvation. Right? 
And, and, and tomorrow when I wake up, I'll be one more day closer to salvation. Or I'm one, or if the Lord tarries for, you know, another 500 years, I'm one day closer to seeing my, to dying, going to sleep. I have a good night's sleep. I mean, a real good night's sleep. The whole night long. No interruption. And when I wake up, the alarm clock, the alarm clock is, and I see the Lord face to face. Oh, baby, we're in good shape. Right? And we're good, but we're one day closer to that every day. So wake up. Stop the sinning. One more night with the frogs doesn't make any sense. Ribbit. Verse 11, do this knowing that the time is already for the hour for you to awake from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sexuality. Not in strife and jealousy. Put that stuff aside. Living with God and doing it the right way is much, much better. Much better. These things we do because we think it brings love and joy and peace to our life. It doesn't. It just brings the opposite. Living with God brings the good stuff. So put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Holy Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful to you to give for the standard of your word that we can live by. Wow, we're so blessed. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Father, for your patience and your mercy with us, helping us to mature and accepting these things that you're of your word and just having faith that you, you know what you're doing. Father, we love you and we praise you, and I ask for you to have this be a good week for us to glorify you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.